Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Wintercast. Yes, we are back. Back in Michigan, back in the Ice Age. Uh, and it is a variable winter wonderland out there. We'll be talking today about winter. Uh, we'll be talking about why I'm back up here and not uh, on the ocean blue. We'll talk about what went on on this uh, this proposed trip from Jacksonville off to Puerto Rico and why it didn't happen, and uh, talk a little bit about old Murph, and yeah, probably get into some stuff about surveying and you know sort of top tips uh, about you know when you're you're about to buy a boat or you think you're going to buy a boat and all that sort of stuff, and uh, I think maybe cap things off with uh, the light at the end of the tunnel because you know get to get to make some new sailing friends. Which is pretty cool. I mean, that's what it's all about. So, before we start the show, like I always say, if you want to help support this podcast, like so many of you do, link in the description of the episode. Patreon really helps out. It's what keeping this show on the air. Uh, we got the merch line, all that stuff is out. We got the books, the children's books, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and if you want to reach out to the show, sailingintooblivion.com, hit the podcast button and uh, contact the show. Those go directly to me. Wow, that was easy. A lot easier than uh, normal. I just, you know, part of me doesn't even want to do those plugs. It's kind of, uh, uh, I don't want to say it's it's not worth doing, because it is. It definitely is. You know, that little reminder. You never know who's first time listening uh, this might be. So it's, uh, it's definitely worth at least doing a, a shout out, a little promo. And if I can keep it in under a minute, then hey, I'm a happy guy. But I got my coffee. Mm, and it is freezing out. So I arrived. Uh, we had delays in the airport. And, you know, I was trying to desperately keep a positive state of mind. Because I think that's very, very important. Uh, it's something I've I've been developing over many, many years. Uh, when you subject yourself to the punishment of the open ocean alone, the isolation for months and months and months, and you have uh, what I I consider to be real suffering, not first world suffering. Like, oh, my flight is delayed. <laughs> I'm not. You know, it beats walking, doesn't it? There, Junior. What do you What do you say about that? Huh? Yeah, it definitely does. So I, <clears throat> I'm in the airport and I'm kind of wandering around Detroit, and I went and stopped and uh, had a had a a lovely, lovely uh, Bloody Mary actually at this. There's a tiny bar if you're ever in Detroit Wayne County Airport, which is I think one of the best airports uh, in the United States as far as ease of travel. They've got the big water feature. They've got the choo-choo train uh, monorail that that runs along a terminal. It's just laid out. It's laid out so proper and it's open spaces. You know, I, I can remember as a child going to Chicago a lot and O'Hare was just this, I don't know. Ugh. And there are a lot of delays out of O'Hare and all that sort of stuff, but it was uh, not until, I don't know, the last 
15 years or so that that all all the flights started funneling through Detroit. And it's just a fantastic airport. Uh, but that being said, there's three concourses. There's A, B, and C. And C concourse has a lot of the regional stuff. And at the very end, it goes down to like 30, C30 or something. But at the very end, uh, well, there's a closed down subway. But just before that, there's a little bar. And really great, great service. And it's tiny. It's quiet because it's so far away from the hubbub of everything. It's uh, a place where you can go and there's maybe two, three patrons in there. And you could tell a lot of the people that were in there fly a lot because they knew who the bartender was and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know. It was, it was kind of nice. And, you know, if you're stuck in an experience, because everybody's seen, everybody's seen those, those irate flyers. And, you know, sometimes when I see those, all I, all I think is, man, somebody ought to smack that person and be like, hey, it beats walking, doesn't it? Huh? Maybe you should just calm down a little bit, plug in your ear pods, listen to a podcast, perhaps sailing into oblivion. I don't know. And just kick back and enjoy the fact that you don't have to walk through the snow or you don't have to drive. I mean, I prefer driving, but not in these conditions. Right now, we're a whiteout blizzard. Well, I wouldn't say whiteout. Visibility is probably quarter mile right now. I can barely see the trees through the forest. Ah, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it is one of those things you got to... You have to... You definitely have to have perspective on things. And when people get so soft and they get so used to like these conveniences that we have in our world today and they start like one little thing goes wrong and they start getting all all up in arms I love that I love that saying by the way I'm all up in arms I don't even know what that means uh you just it, it is it's a perspective thing it's and it, and a lot of times People just need a quick smack. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not promoting violence by any means. Uh, a smack to the psyche, let's say, of like, hey, dude, you have it so good. Quit your whining and complaining. Enjoy the moment that you know you're in. Yeah, you're in an airport and you're delayed a couple of hours. Oh no. So go and have a freaking Bloody Mary. Go grab a sandwich for $28. You know, it's it's highway robbery what they do to you in there. But still, just just take a take a moment to step back. And I and I do know. I do know that most people that go completely irate, it's not because of the situation they're in, it's because of whatever situation they're dealing with in their lives. So that always has to be that's like a caveat that we always have to consider. You know, somebody Somebody who goes completely irate in a, a line and gets all upset at, at something else, you know, maybe maybe instead of a smack to the psyche, they just need somebody to say, hey, uh, are you okay? What's wrong? You want to talk about it? You want to unload your problems on a perfect stranger? Go for it. I'm here for you. <sighs> but regardless, so I'm just wandering around. I'm riding the uh, people movers. That's one thing, though, I must say I... Mm, mm. I get a little testy. I get a little testy when I'm walking up to an escalator. And one of the, the really lovely features that, that Detroit has uh, to get from a concourse to the other ones, there's a tunnel that goes under the tarmac. And 
this tunnel has people movers in it. It's probably a quarter mile long, if not a half mile. And it has this beautiful stained glass sort of lit up, ever changing, uh, going with the music sort of feature. And you can just, you know, you get on the people mover and just like on a road, the right side is for standing, the left side is for passing. All right. And I like to, that's the one people mover escalator that I like to actually stand on. I just, I'll stand there and I will just take it in. I'll listen to the tunes. I'll watch the colors go by. It's quite, quite lovely. Now, if I'm in a hurry though, uh, I'm moving, I'm moving and shaking. And I used to, I used to really love back in the day, uh, when I did a lot of my talks and stuff and I was flying, I always had my special shoes on. <laughs> I've got special shoes. Uh, they're the, the, the one fancy pair of shoes I've ever bought in my life. I bought them back in my early twenties after I got my first captain's license over in England. And I was in London waiting for my, my flight and stuff for a couple of days. And I went to some crazy little, I think they called it an arcade or something. I, I don't know. It was basically a little ancient uh mall in the city but there was a really fancy shoemaker there and i got this this lovely pair of leather shoes if you know me you've seen them because i always wear them for any sort of dinners cocktail parties special events if you will and they're they're like the classic uh nice shoe wear or dress shoe, I guess you, if you will, but kind of almost like cowboy boot in a way. It's got like a bit of a heel. It makes me about a half inch taller, but they're hard soles, hard leather, you know, and when you're running, especially on an escalator or people mover, it makes quite a clatter. And I can remember many, many times, uh, almost late for a flight and just running through Detroit's airport and just making a racket and watching the sea part in front of me. Because you're hearing like clank, 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 and uh, and that was pretty cool. But to my little rant here for a hot second, if there's a lot of people and there's three escalators and they're all going up or down, I guess it doesn't really matter. An escalator, even though it doesn't have the little tiny yellow line on it and the sign that says stand and walk to separate and delineate who does what. Do not get on an escalator and stand on the left-hand side and stop. Because if I'm there, you're going to get an excuse me. I'm, gonna, I'm coming right up in there. I'm, I'm going to move right up. And if, you, if you're just going to stand there, if it's like a total jammed up escalator, I understand. Okay, nobody's moving. Um, that's understandable. But you know what? If, if we're, all, we're all moving quick and the escalator's pretty empty and you get in front of me and you just park it, just I'm I'm not walking man I hate that oh it makes me so mad I'm just like dude use your legs let's get up this thing twice as fast what do you say come on exercise just don't I don't know there's that lump it's like don't be a lump get moving a rolling stone gathers no moss boy I'm full of wisdom today cheers to that jeez Louise hmm all right that's enough of my airport rant and rave but I did uh after the delay and everything and we hop on this little tiny plane and get up to Pelston Michigan ice box of the nation and I actually I've said that so many times and I wanted to 
actually fact check that a little bit. And so I pulled it up and there I found this nice little article. Um, it says signs posted along US 31 on Pelston's northern and southern outskirts welcome motorists to the icebox of the nation. A variety of cold weather superlatives have been associated with the village of 800 or so people, including an unofficial Depression-era temperature reading said to be Michigan's lowest ever. Oh, wow. And that's where I flew in last night. It's not the only U.S. community to use the chilly-sounding nickname, however, uh, based on information available at Pelston's Historical Museum, village president Jim Gillett said a local temperature reading of negative, get this, negative 53 degrees from 1933 helped establish the community's link to the icebox title. Now that's 53, negative 53 Fahrenheit without a wind chill, folks. You know when you're watching the old Weather Channel and they're naming every gust of wind. Oh, gust of wind, Perry. <laughs> you know, trying to make it sound like uh, the world's coming to an end. Well, they're always talking now about temperatures as far as wind chill. Always, always. You can't even get a straight temperature off of a uh, a weather forecast on television anymore. And because uh, they're always just trying to up the game, up the. Game. I mean, what what are we in? Winter storm Heather. When did we start naming storms in the wintertime? I mean, uh, boy, I'm on a rant. I don't know. I think I listened to a little too much uh, Matt Rutherford uh, while I was down there. But in any event, negative 53 degrees. Here's the clincher, though, because there have been um, there's, you know, obviously in uh, let's see, it says in 1971, negative 80 degrees in Prospect Creek, Alaska, the all-time low and then in 1954 negative 70 degrees at rogers pass montana is the lowest for the lower 48 so it's you know it's not a record setter but it's it's some little town in in patas or in northern michigan and it got down to negative 53 now there's no actual uh record of it submitted to like the the to noah or whatever so it it um you know, doesn't get some big accolades, but uh, that's why they call it the icebox of the nation, and it's right next door. So when I arrived at this said icebox, it was probably between 5 and 10 degrees uh, Fahrenheit up there. The car had been sitting there for only a week, so not too, too bad. But essentially, I had checked a bag, so I had to, uh, all my real cold weather stuff in there. Ah. <sighs> So I dash from the airport and uh, I have my little, I don't know, 500 yard run down to find the car buried in snow, two, two and a half feet everywhere. Luckily, I did remember to pop the windshield wipers up so that those didn't get frozen to and collect, you know, the ice around them and quickly without gloves or anything and, uh, and just a pair of like sneakers uh, got a bunch of it wiped off, fired the engine up. It was a bit of a slow start, not going to lie. It was pretty cold up there. And then I was able to, oh, we got Jim Rand on the phone. All right, hold on. We're going to pause. Got to answer that phone when the old man calls, you know, staying in his house. Yikes. Uh, anyway, um, now I'm totally derailed. 
Don't even know what I was talking about before. Uh, but in any event, yeah, so uh, get the car all fired up and then it's a small, very, very small airport with one gate. So it's, uh, you know, those rules of don't leave your vehicle uh, out on the curb, they don't really apply up there, especially in those circumstances. So I knew I had about five minutes or so to get my bag and uh, pulled the car back around real close. I'm literally freezing. My hands have gone numb at this point. And, uh, and then I go in and get it. And then I drive back in a blizzard. Um, the only real nice part about the, the drive back, which is about 45, 50 minutes or so, maybe a little longer because it's the snowy condition that was out there. Uh, but I got a call from our old friend of the show, Murph, up there in the shack, Rockland, Maine. Shout out Murph, bud. Ah, he's uh, he's such an entertaining person to chat with when you uh, are in the mood to listen to somebody who's had, you know, 18 white claws. And it's just classic. But uh, he sent me a video the other day when that storm came up the coast. They they got hit with the surge and the wind from, I don't know, I guess the south or the east and right at the same time as their high tide and the yard got swamped like literally two feet of water all the way up to the garage the workshop murph shack moved and murph and murph's like murph shack don't matter murph shack floats <laughs> i couldn't believe it but yeah essentially you know his tv got knocked over all his uh, dvds yes he's a avid dvd watcher um, yeah, it's kind of sad, you know, because he's right there on the break wall, essentially at, at the Marina and, um, yeah, bummer. Yeah. He sent me this video of him walking out and, and literally the water's right up to his floorboards and everything, his rugs. I had to send him a shirt or a sweatshirt or something, keep him warm during the, uh, the rest of the winter. You know, he's right on the water. So I asked him if they had any snow and they didn't really have much of anything, at least right there on the coast. So you know, he's not battling that, but there are times where it's freezing out there and he's, uh, he puts blankets and stuff over the doors to the shack to try and insulate it a little bit, but he just sort of hunkers down. The man is a beast people, you know, he really, really is, but always, always fun to have a nice long chat with old Murph and, uh, see how things are going. And he's switched from being a Pats fan to being a Lions fan all of a sudden. I wonder why. And, uh, yeah, other than that, he's doing well, he's surviving. And if you ever want to see any of Murph's stuff, <laughs> you can go on TikTok. It's, uh, Thomas Murphy lobsterman 64, I think, or something like that. It's some crazy handle. It's pretty funny. He does a lot of weather reports and he does a lot of obviously, uh, half in the bag sort of posts where he's using a lot of the features on TikTok that, you know, mostly children use. But hey, if you get a kick out of it uh, like he does, then more power to you, I guess. Right. <clears throat> OK, so on to uh, other subjects here. The trip. Yes, the trip. I know we had talked about this trip before I went down there and essentially. Hmm. Essentially, the game plan was, oh, I almost want to, I almost want to get some coffee before, before we get into this. Nah, don't even worry about it. Let's just, let's just stay on track. What do you say? The plan was to hop down. It's a Tiana 37. 
contacted about this uh, a couple months ago or something, and essentially the boat needed to go from Jacksonville, Florida, and get it down to Puerto Rico. And the owner, really, really great guy. Shout out, Ryan. I'm um, sorry we didn't have a chance to get you on the show, but it would have been uh, would have been pretty cool. Um, essentially, we were going to do the offshore passage, so we were going to go due east, get out to I-65 and then head south down to Puerto Rico, you know, ride the southern edge of these lows and get on out, you know, 900,000 miles out to sea and then turn south and try and hook into the trade wind. So it's basically a broad reach run, cross over the little doldrumy area and then reach all the way home. And Tyana's a great boat, solid, solid double ender or canoe stern, if you will. And, um, yeah, essentially he he had purchased the boat. I guess he had owned it for about a year and everything. And then uh, yeah, it was time to time to get moving and get it out of Florida. And so we sort of scheduled to have me come down. And and I knew we were probably gonna you know Ryan was definitely very forthright with exactly you know what sort of shape the boat was in. It definitely needed some work. There were things that needed to be done before we'd have it ready to go. But you know for me. Partly it's a job and partly it's an adventure and a challenge. And I really, really enjoy all three of those aspects uh, of doing these sort of things. And, you know, it's one thing to just go and hop on a boat. You know, you fly somewhere and the boat's ready to go. You don't even have to provision or anything like that. You just hop on because you're a body. And that's fine. It, it, those are those are definitely fun. You get right out to sea and, you, you know, I always do my own little inspection before you know we untie the lines I like to get a, a good look around things because um, I, I think <clears throat> I think after all the years of experience one of the things that I, I have realized is that I don't want to say you can't trust people it's just you don't know what sort of standards uh, other people have as far as the boats go and the standards that I I like to keep. And I'm I'm pretty laissez-faire. I'm pretty risky when it comes to taking boats. Um, I I love the idea that uh, you know much worse boats have have crossed oceans and much finer vessels sit at the dock. And it's so true that some of the most seaworthy craft never never leave the coast, while some of the most ramshackle you can't even believe they're out there still floating are are also crossing oceans and doing big passages and it's it's you know partly you've got your equipment partly you've got the mindset of like let's just go do this um now i tend to in my later years as i'm about to turn 45 uh i like to favor the not safe route but at least just knowledgeable like know what you're getting into and know okay, we've got some weak points. We've got some issues with this boat. So we do have to like baby it or something like that. You know, it's not, I, I don't want to blindly just be like, ah, you can take it. Cause you know, one of the things that happens out there in the ocean is the ocean has no time limit. The ocean has no pause button and the ocean has no idea that you're even on it. And when the going gets tough, it can get going or it can get tough for a very long time it will always outlast anything we put out there whether it's a boat a person a ship anything the ocean can break it down the ocean literally washes continents 
shorelines away. I mean, think of that. How, how, uh, you know, what, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> a continent is nothing. It eats glaciers alive. You know, those glaciers that are all coming down, they hit the sea and the sea eats them. You know, it's not until snowball earth, uh, you know, when, when the ice age covers the entire thing. But I guarantee what probably ends up eating that snowball back down to a normal planet is the ocean and the volcanoes in the ocean and all that sort of stuff. I am not a scientist. I don't know if you, you caught wind of that, but. <laughs> hmm. So in any event, uh, you know, we get down there and Ryan and his buddy Rory, friend of the show, we had him on the other day. We, uh, you know, we, we hop on and we, we get down to the boat and we take a look around. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I expected, I was like, okay, the boat is not ready. That's part of the job is we're going to get this boat ready. The boat definitely had a lot of, uh, just a lot. It, it looked like somebody had bought this boat at some point and had grand plans of, I don't know, going around the world or something. Who, who knows? And was also under the impression that anytime somebody uh, in the marina was giving away something or was about to throw something away, i.e. pieces of wood, plexiglass, uh, stainless steel, any of that sort of stuff, whoever had it before Ryan was like, I'll take that. I could use that. You know, and that's that's a trap. That's a trap that that one can easily many sailors fall into uh, where it. it it's, it's almost like a hoarding sort of uh, mentality of like, ooh, you know, that stuff costs so much money at blah, 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 and they're throwing it away. I'm going to grab that because there might be a project I might need it for. Well, what, what might happen is that you're going to fill up your boat full of junk. So be aware that um, unless you have a project underway, saws out, you know, pencils and uh, and tape measures ready to go try not to build up too much of a a base of raw materials because that's that's essentially one of the issues that i think led to the demise of this this adventure was that there was so much stuff on this boat that it was pretty hard to nay it was impossible really to get eyes on everything get eyes on all the fittings all the through hulls all the bulkheads because there was just so much stuff on this boat and essentially that's uh that's where i don't know uh my first suggestion was to well let's get some trash bags and let's start hauling all this crap over to that dumpster and uh luckily ryan was great he obliged he was just like yeah let's let's clear this thing out because essentially when you're when you're trying to investigate the boat and get it ready for a trip like this if it's full of a whole bunch of the previous owner's crap then boom let's just gut it let's gut this thing down to the hull the cushions um the wood the cabinetry, things like that, that all stays. Everything else goes. You might have a big bin of like spare parts. We kept all those. Obviously, you're not going to throw like cleats and blocks and things like that away. But when they're strewn about the boat everywhere, that's when uh, it's a bit of an issue. And so 
you clean the boat out, you gut it, you get rid of all the crap, you organize the things that might be useful, i.e. blocks and spare parts and things like that, engine components, whatever. Isolate those, get them organized, make a list of what you have there, and then you take back, take a look back, you grab the old whiskers on your chin and you have a think, all right? And you look around, you investigate, you you prod, you get the flashlights out, you're looking at everything, uh, you're testing all the systems. Ryan had uh, an electrician on there who was rewiring basically the entire boat. So new light system, uh, new nav system, new VHF, uh, AIS, and redoing the solar. Solar panels were going to stay, they just needed to be rewired, a new charger for the battery new batteries all that sort of stuff so it was kind of i mean that was that was part of me being like oh man this is awesome we're getting like a fully new rewired boat this is great it's not the biggest part of my concern with any boat is how high tech the navigation system is yes i want to make sure that we have ais i want to make sure we have a vhf that works and yeah, if we can have a chart plotter on there, great. It's not a necessity because everybody's got one in their pocket and usually then another iPad or something like that in their backpack. And so, you know, the the idea of not having your GPS coordinates come up is insane. It just doesn't happen anymore these days. Everybody's got them. But we were still going to have a paper chart. And uh, so we'd be pretty much good to, good to go there as far as navigation. Off in the weeds here. Uh, but essentially, yeah, that was kind of like, oh, okay, so we got that. And then my other concern uh, for, I think, day one or day two probably was, okay, you know, we're getting this thing gutted. We got to keep doing this. The The electrician was on there, so we couldn't yeah, we couldn't really dive right in. You know, we, we wanted him to keep going because we were kind of under the gun as far as timing goes. And so it wasn't like, oh, let's have three guys come down and work while this electrician's trying to work as well. So it was like, all right, well, what else are we going to do? So we went and inspected the sails. We put the reef lines in the main. This was what I was probably most hopeful for as far as the adventure went, is that we had two jibs, both in good shape. We had two staysails, one in good shape, one in not so good shape. And then we had a brand new mainsail. And that that little quiver of sails is, is great. That's awesome. That's what like I would want for Sparrow for a trip like this is to have a backup and then also have brand new cloth up there. That, that just, it, it sets one's mind at ease to know that the wind is going to blow and the sails are not going to blow out. Like that's great. That was perfect. And it's got a furling headsail and the staysail, you know, it had a self tacking boom, but didn't have all the hardware for it. Again, who knows? Maybe it was just some somebody was giving one of these things away. I don't even know if it fit on there. We were going to bag it anyway. Uh, but yeah, after looking at those, it was good. Looked at the rigging. Just needed to do some fine tuning on that. That would have been fine. The mast looked good. The actual hull uh, was in pretty darn good shape. And everything seemed to be pretty solid. I didn't see any big things jump out, just a lot of little projects that still needed to be completed before, you know, you would say, okay, this boat, one, it's going to be safe. It's got the handrails, it's got the lifelines, all that. Two, it's not going to leak all over us because all that stuff is bedded properly. Now the leaks, I don't know, that, that would have been a little iffy because it did have a butterfly hatch and I'm not a fan of those on any boat, no matter how beautiful they are, unless 
Unless your boat is just for coastal cruising and for showing off at the dock, which is totally fine. Love those types of boats. An offshore boat, uh, that butterfly hatch is just, I don't know, it just looks like bad news to me. I mean, that's an area on the boat that you, you just don't want. You, you don't want something that could break or come apart or get walloped by a large breaking wave and rip completely off. And now you have, you know, a 24 by 24 inch hole in the middle of your boat. It's not, I don't know. I get a prism. That's what I say. You want, you want light coming down from the ceiling, get a prism. Those things work amazing. Um, enough said, enough said. And I, I, they are beautiful. They are beautiful. I'm not, I'm trying desperately not to be disparaging. Um, this boat was a lovely boat. It has a lot of potential to be absolutely stunning. It's got great bones. It just needs, it needs a lot of work. Now, the only other thing was in, in my, when I think about these things, I'm like, okay, is the boat solid? Does it have good bones? Yes. Okay. Is the, are the sails good? Yes. Sails are great. We've got electronics. Awesome. That's a nice bonus. It's a plus. It's not super necessity, but it's a plus. Um, the only other thing in my mind was wind vane, self-steering, autopilot, all that sort of stuff. What do we have? And essentially we had a Cape Horn wind vane on there. Hadn't been used in a while to say the least. And so that, that definitely is one of those things where it's kind of like, well, I was really taken on. I was up for the challenge on that one because I've never, I've never used one. I watched a million videos on how they work and their operation, and looked at the manual and all that sort of stuff, and was able to troubleshoot it. They essentially, there's two styles of rigging these cape-horned wind vanes and connecting them up to your steering system. The one is so on basically. Um, when you have a steering column or a uh, rudder post, if you will, so your rudder, your rudder is outside of the boat, and there's a big metal post that the rudder is connected to, and when the rudder moves, that post rotates as well. That's usually connected with wires or chain or line to either your steering wheel. Or if you have a tiller, the tiller is right there uh, on the boat, typically, or right there on the rudder. And then, then maybe you don't have like the actual post. You know, Sparrow is just a, uh, a, a rudder that is hung. It's got three gudgeons and pindle, pintles, and it's just, it's a barn door. This one, we have a helm, so we're steering with a wheel. So it's got what's called a quadrant. A quadrant essentially is a triangle where the pivot point is that rudder post. Okay, so when the when the rudder post, when the rudder moves, when you move the wheel, this quadrant, this triangle that has these wires connected to it, that moves back and forth as well. And it gives you a little bit of extra like not purchase, but um, essentially the quadrant rotating, say, like 45 degrees would spin the wheel once or twice. So you're getting a whole lot of spin it's like a gear thing almost you spin the wheel a whole bunch and it moves the quadrant a little bit because the quadrant is directly connected to that rudder post and to the rudder okay hopefully i'm describing this <laughs> in some semblance so the cape horn is just one of those servo pendulum sort of things or a version of it 
where essentially you've got the wind blade up in the air. And when that tilts, it makes the rudder or the hydro blade rotate. And because you're moving through the water, it's going to pull up. That gives you your leverage. Well, with the Cape Horn, unlike the Aries, uh, the Cape Horn has essentially another uh, a, a post going through with a quadrant on it. So now you've got two quadrants on the boat. And there's two ways that you can hook it up. And the way, one way is to just basically take the lines from that quadrant, run them through a pulley or two up to your helm. So either a tiller or, in this case, a wheel. And so when you, you lose a little bit of that extra turnage, when you, when you have it like that, like it's not going to be an, as aggressive, I guess, of a wind vane as, as far as how... how extreme it can turn the boat but it was a pretty simple little system the other one is to hook it quadrant to quadrant using a series of like six or eight blocks definitely a bit more complicated um, but that gives you the mechanical advantage that's that's the term I was looking for all this time that gives you the mechanical sort of advantage where you know a, a turn of the Cape Horn is going to be a pretty big, drastic turn of that wheel, which is kind of, I would think in some, in some semblance, that you, that, that's, that's what you're looking for. So, long story short, we peeled this thing apart. We had to troubleshoot it. It was all locked up and all that sort of stuff. But eventually, we get it so that it's kind of functioning. You know, lack of, lack of an actual on-the-water sea trial test, which we were going to do uh, over the coming days, it seemed to work, you know, when you when you spun this thing, all, all the functions of it were working. So I was like, OK, all right. So we got the sails. The mast is good. The hull is good. Uh, we're looking good. Electrician finally finishes up. We install some lights. Uh, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're definitely getting there. Now, the boat still was a little I don't want to say shabby. It just is in need of love. It's in need of work. Because people had been on this boat sort of doing their own kind of projects with obviously not much uh, not much in the way of thinking of function and also uh, <laughs> I guess just like how how it actually looks you know you, some boats some boats you hop on a boat and you're like, wow, this is a yacht look at this this is fine joinery this is all really neat. Other times you can walk on a boat and be like, wow, uh, is this somebody's like high school project uh, at shop class? Just they came up with the idea to do an in insane mold so that uh, when you dry your dishes that that'll run into the sink. But it looks like uh, <laughs> it looks like a, a six year old made it out of Play-Doh, um, that sort of thing. Still. Again, I'm not trying to disparage this boat. I do think that with a good amount of work, this thing could actually be a stunning example of a Tiana 37. But at this point, it just isn't. Um, so we, we're trying to stay positive. You know, the cushions come to find out. Uh, the cushions essentially is just cloth wrapped around, almost around the whole things, and then a lot of bobby pins used or safety pins to uh to hold that together so it's kind of like eh, that's gonna it's not gonna be like comfortable sleeping there um but in any event it, it there there were a few things where it was like ah, this is gonna be a little uh a 
a little tough. It's going to be, it's not going to be like a plush, like, ooh, this is just all so lovely, the sailing trip. This is going to be more of, you know, you're, you're on deck most of the time and you're out there for the sailing, which is great. Um, just because, you know, the down below wasn't really, it wasn't really suited for living. Uh, and it's not quite yet. It will be eventually. I mean, it had a, this big wood burning stove in there and the chimney is right there where you would grab on that, that one. And Ryan, I know if, if you are listening to this one, that chimney either needs some sort of poster. The amount of times I grabbed onto that and then, you know, almost ripped it down and we're sitting at a dock. Uh, that's something that I think, I think like a little post next to it, uh, just a stainless steel one, something that runs up and down that so that you would grab that instead of actual that chimney. Cause somebody's just going to rip that chimney right out. They're going to put their weight on it and it's just going to come to pieces. So <clears throat> top tip there. Uh, shout out Ryan. Anyway, I, I do want to say, man, cheers. I hope, uh, hope things go well. I hope you dive right into these projects that, uh, need to be done and, uh, you do it, do it with the thinking and under the guise of like, it's fun to mess around with boats. That's what I, whenever I'm faced with really painful, painstaking projects that I've done a million times, like IE stripping and varnishing the cap rail on Sparrow, it's not a joyous celebration of work for me. I've done it too many times. It's a huge pain. But my mantra when I'm in that is, ah, isn't it fun to mess about with boats? Nobody's, nobody's looking over my shoulder being like, oh, come on, hurry it up. I get to take my time. I'm on my boat. I'm enjoying myself. And if I'm in a situation where you know I've got a couple of weeks off between gigs or something like that, hey, at least I don't have to work eight hours and then go and do this. So keep that in mind, Rye. Keep it in mind. Let it flow. Uh, so in any event, yeah, we essentially, uh, electrician finishes up. We get to a point where we, we can do the final gut, so to speak, where we're, we're trying to get the last little piles of, of crap off of this boat and, uh, and so we get into systems tests. And one of the last things we were trying to sort out is we got to find the holding tank and then we got to find the compressor so that we can wire up the fridge. Now, this one had an ice box in one side and then it had a tiny little free freezer fridge with a cooling plate in the other. And we're searching, we're searching, we're tracing wires, we're looking, we're looking. Can't really find anything, and I'm thinking, well, all right, well, let's we we gotta, we, it's got to be here somewhere. So we start taking some of this this false plastic sort of paneling off uh, of some of these walls, hopefully, because you know there's a little little gaps, little areas there, and I pull one off and I expose the straw that that sunk the battleship. I know that's completely wrong. Straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Um, one of the main bulkheads, or the main bulkhead, I guess. It was missing a chunk from where, where the deck goes. So just underneath the deck, coming down about a foot, there was a chunk that had been cut out. You know, there's a little bit of rot in that and, you know, nothing, nothing huge. It was such a small area that... It didn't really concern me that much. I did go around and look at some of the other bulkheads. I found a little rot in one of the others. But, eh, you know, nothing nothing where I was like, whoa, 
We take this panel off. I pull it and I look and I stop and I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm aghast. And then I poke with my finger and I see that the pretty much the entire bulkhead along the hall, um, it's just, it's all rotted. Most of it's even missing actually. And I'm just looking at that and it's just, it's one of those things. It's, it's a game changer when you, when all of a sudden the bones are no longer, uh, good. And, you know, for me, it's everything on a boat can be fixed. Everything, a boat is just hardened putty. It's, you rip it out, you replace it, you glass it, you're good to go. The only issue is timing wise, I'm looking at this and I'm adding up in my head realistically how long it's going to take to fix this and what it's going to be like aboard that boat if you're doing a big wood and fiberglass project. And, you know, you can you can very easily uh, lie to yourself and say, okay, well, all I got to do is this and I'm going to just grind that. Well, whoa, let's, let's, let's throttle back a little bit. Let's talk about prep work for a big project. We're going to have to rip all these other things out. We're going to have to find every last bit of all this rot. Then we're going to have to make a template. Then we're going to have to grind. Then we're going to have to install. Then we're going to, and these things add up. And when you have people who are like, oh, dude, that'll take 10 minutes, dude. You're dreaming. You are dreaming. Absolutely dreaming. There's, there's two types of people in these boatyards and I've dealt with all of them, but there's ones that have a very realistic mindset of how long projects take the pitfalls you find and literally how, how long these things. And the other ones that are like, Oh dude, we can nail that out. We can no, no problem at all. Don't let the, don't let the positivity of somebody thinking that they could do something very quickly. Um, don't let that cloud the real thing of like, oh, okay, well, you got to order the parts. You got to order the materials. You're going to actually have to sit here and grind. You're going to have to prep this whole area. You're going to turn this whole boat into a cloud of <laughs> fiberglass. There's a million things. There's cleanup. There's all sorts of stuff. There's paint. There's curing times. It takes time for these things to kick. And you can't just like, oh, let's putty that in. Grind. No. It takes time. So we basically kind of looked at it and we were we we decided, okay, well, this this project is is real big and we're gonna miss our little win window that we had. Uh we missed the first one and then we were gonna miss the second one. And, you know, at the same time it was just sort of like I I think everybody was kind of thinking, okay. We were going to just go for this trip, and when we saw that, we were like, all right, adding that to the list of all these other things that we need to bed and and make sure these aren't leaking and make sure this works, it's just, it's too much. It, it was just too much. We added it up in our heads. All of us agreed. We just knew that um, we it, this is not something, a bulkhead is not something you want to do a quick fix on. It's something you want to do properly, do it well, and, um, you know, just go from there. So we called it, and that's it. We, we essentially said, no, this isn't going to work. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully in the near future or uh, – we, we get another chance at it. We get the boat uh, down to Puerto Rico if that's where 
it still wants to go. Um, I recommended that the boat get, you know, if you don't want to live in a marina as the, as the, uh, springtime creeps in eventually here, I know it's only January, uh, but it will come eventually take the boat up, uh, to the Carolinas, haul it out, be in a boat yard, be in a place where you can tear that boat apart. And start from scratch. Because like I said, I mean, it's a beautiful boat. It's It has the potential of being absolutely stunning. And that should never be sort of forgotten. So, Ryan, I hope you're I hope you're hearing that one. I hope you're hearing that one. It's It, it has the potential of being absolutely a sweet boat. It's just going to take a lot of work and a lot of time. But, hey, that's, you know, anything, anything worth doing, it's worth doing right. So, in any event... Um, you know, we, we pretty much dropped it. We were like, nope, that's it. That is it. And uh, call the airlines, rebook tickets, things like that. Uh, again, just want to do shout out to Ryan. Ryan definitely took care of everything. There was never any like, well, you know, we didn't actually do so. I'm not going to. No, there wasn't any of that. Ryan's a stand-up guy. It's fantastic. Um, you know, everything was sorted. Let's just say that. And And I'm feeling very good about it. So, uh, that's, that's how you get, you know, the future, future trip. It's not, you know, I, I know he was kind of concerned that like, Oh, I'd never come back down there again and not answer his phone calls or whatever. But no, absolutely, man. You get that boat sorted out, take a few pictures, <laughs> send them to me. And, uh, I'm definitely down for sure. Cause it is, it's a beautiful boat and it looks like it would be a lovely offshore, um, cruiser. So yeah, that was that was basically it, and um, you know, came down to our last day. We couldn't get flights for too too quick, but we were able to get them for the following day or the day after tomorrow, so to speak. And uh, so we had one extra day. And the thought was, you know, <clears throat> let's put our let's put some distance between us and the boat. Let's go, you know, maybe do something fun, blah blah blah. And uh, I don't know. In my head. You know, we we had we had essentially once we decided that it wasn't going to happen, we just sort of dropped everything. We were like, "All right, well, let's turn the power off and uh, close the doors and go." And you know, there's there's lots of there was just lots of stuff, lots of hatches open, lots of all that, and it didn't look good. And I didn't feel good about that. And I wanted to leave that boat. There's an old saying. My my grandfather used to say it. My dad said it to me a million times. Um, you want to leave a boat better than you find it, like always, without question. There's two types of people. <laughs> those that leave a boat better than they found it, and that's the type you want, or they're the ones that make a boat a messy place and leave it that way for the next person. And, uh, boy, that just really... As, as uh, old David Boone would say, uh, my wires are touching when I see that. There's nothing worse than seeing a, a boat that's in pretty good shape. Somebody goes out and uses it and trashes it and just leaves it. Oh, man, that's it's it's just it's a disgusting, shameful act. Oh. Uh, but in any event, um, so, you know, I was like, hey, guys, well, what, what do you say? Well, let's go down there. There's three of us. It's a small boat. We can we can make a huge impact on if we can't fix the boat right now, we can at least make a huge impact on how the boat looks and how clean it is. And boom, everybody hopped on board and 
just, uh, I don't know, I think we did three, four hours or whatever, cleaned it all up, made it livable, sat around the table, chatted, uh, cleaned up the cockpit. The only thing we didn't do was grab the pressure washer, but that's because, you know, there's a few other things that need to be bedded on there first. Um, I think a pressure washer is going to make that boat sparkle in a way that um, we don't realize because there's a lot of just, eh, you know, exhaust, car exhaust, that darking, darkening of the, the non-skid, a lot of mold, stuff like that, like green mold, like algae mold that pressure washers just love, love to just clean right up. So that was the only thing we didn't really get to, but, you know, went off, grabbed a beer, each and uh, brought it back to the boat. We got to sort of just yuck it up for a little bit, have have a bit of a moment, and I think that was uh, that was cool. So I took a few few videos, um, nothing much, you know. I it was kind of weird. I there was part of me that wanted to get right in there and and start filming a whole bunch of this stuff and and kind of be like, oh, look at this, this is a problem, and look at this and and all that. And uh, I think a more sensible side of me was sort of like, dude, don't kick a horse when it's down. Let's, uh, you know, maybe maybe let this one just lie. And, um, you know, Ryan had said I could take some some clips and stuff. And so he didn't mind. So I, I just I did a, a few nothing, nothing big. It's going to be like a little five minute video or something. I'll throw that up on YouTube here shortly. But just kind of gives you a little little taste of um, I don't know what what. What you can find sometimes, the pitfalls of, of buying a, a used boat. You know, this boat was in 1982, so it's been on this planet for 41 years, 42 years now. And um, a lot's going to happen to a boat like that. It's going to need a lot of maintenance and all that sort of stuff. And if you have previous owners that are just living on the thing, that aren't actually sailing it, um, yeah, they're, they're just wearing it out. So kind of beware of that. And I, I, I think... I think that that's that's how I kind of want to end this podcast is talking about just a couple of top tips, okay? Surveys and also getting your own eyes on these things. So one, obviously, obviously, and I've run into so many people this this past year that are in deep, deep projects and deep, deep trouble because they didn't get surveys. And if you just want to look at it from a monetary perspective, a survey is expensive. 600 bucks, maybe, maybe 800 bucks. I don't, I don't really know. I've never had one done. (laughs) Oh man. Um, That could quite easily save you tens of thousands of dollars. Because if you get a good survey, they're going to find everything that's wrong with that boat. Now, here's a caveat. Not all surveys are good. There's a saying, don't ever go with the broker's survey. Try and do your own little bit of research. It's just not that easy, though. You're usually not in your own hometown. Um, you're off, you know, you, typically people have to fly to these places to go see these boats. They're getting and dealing with an unknown surveyor. And you never know, dude. Surveyors are just like any other people. If they can take advantage of a situation, they will. Uh, it's a sad truth, but it's just it's just the way it is. So you have to be extra savvy and really try and vet and make sure you get somebody who's uh, who's pretty darn good. And you know, you might have to pay a little extra for that. It's worth it. It's totally totally worth it. I mean, you got to think if. 
if if I so Bud Taplin had surveyed Sparrow, right in this guy's yard, and I got to see and read through the survey and everything, and it, it showed a couple of little picadillos, you know, and I kind of knew of those. But you know, when you think about it, old J Rome fell into this trap, and that's why I speak from experience. There were a lot of things wrong with that boat. They had to be fixed. Uh, leaky decks. The engine just, <laughs> the engine. Um, things that I'm still dealing with to this day. And uh, had I had a proper survey done, if anything, it would have lowered the price of Sparrow when I purchased it. So you got to kind of think of it in that way. You may be looking at, oh man, it's gonna cost me seven hundred bucks to have a survey done. They want forty-five grand for the boat. Well, guess what? When that surveyor finds the bulkhead's all rotted out, guess what? You might be able to say, hey, well, let's knock about ten grand off the price tag. And these are just—I'm just throwing out numbers, but you see what I mean. Uh, even from the just initial asking price, you might be able to save yourself thousands of dollars. Thousands. So get a survey. I can't say enough. Make sure you get a survey. Find your own surveyor. If the owner of the boat or the broker is like, well, I got a guy and if we're not using this guy, then, you know, deals off, then be like, all right, thanks for thanks for showing me that red flag because I was kind of thinking I might buy this boat. But now you have literally ensured the fact that I will not buy this boat because you're obviously up to no good or, or the famous one. I mean, I still remember there was one guy I was looking at his West sale back in the day. And, um, I was trying to get a survey done or line a surveyor up. And this guy just didn't, he, he was so non-helpful and I was trying to coordinate time. Oh, no, I can't be there at that time. No, I can't do it. And I was just like, you just don't want a survey done on this boat because your boat is a pile of crap. <laughs> and, you know, you walk away. Go to another one. Go to another one. So, I don't know. The other part of that, that's part one. Get the survey. Get the survey. Get the survey. Um, the other part of that, though, too, is even if you're going to have a survey done, Get a flashlight. Get your eyeballs all over that boat. All over it. Looking, 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 looking. Opening every hatch. Somebody's trying to rush you in and out of that boat. Red flag. Watch it. Don't, don't let... Ah! Hey, you. I don't care if you got other people coming. I'm trying to look at this boat. All right? I'll scream rat in the restaurant if you uh, keep trying to rush me. You know, oh, don't look in that cabinet. What? <laughs> that sort of stuff. Now, get your eyes on it. Get a good survey. Get your own eyes on it. Really snoop around. If you have any questions about any of that stuff that you see on that boat, you ask. You bring it to the attention. Do not be a bashful buyer of a boat. I know it's intimidating. You're new to boating. There's an old salty broker or you know the previous owner or whatever is on board, and you're kind of like, oh, geez, I hope I don't make them mad. No, 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 no. Get in there, poke, prod. If anything, you're going to expose some serious problems with the boat or you're going to get that price tag reduced and reduced and reduced. And in the end, you're going to realize and find out just how much of a project you have purchased. All boats, all boats are projects. They need maintenance. They need care. 
They're going to need that time and effort put into them. Um, at least, I guess I should say on on our small boat level. Uh, you know, if we're talking about a two hundred million dollar Jeff Bezos yacht, yeah, it might be a little different story. We're not talking about those boats. Um, yeah. So get the survey. Get your own eyes on it. Oh, and I guess one other little top tip that I, I would definitely say. If you're going to buy a boat and you see the pictures on Yacht World or wherever, Facebook Marketplace, uh, Craigslist, and wow, the boat looks great. It's clean. And oh, uh, yeah, that looks awesome. And you show up and, you know, Johnny, Johnny Football's sitting there. Uh, he's been living on the boat for two years. He's never taken it you know, off the dock, never untied the lines and has collected a pile of his favorite, uh, hoarding accoutrement and it's all over the boat. And you're like, wow. Okay. So, so this is like your house and you're trying to sell it. And the pictures I saw was when it was before it was your house. So, um, if we're going to do a survey and I'm going to actually look at this boat, I'm going to give you a couple of days to just get all of your crap off of it. If there's piles of raw materials, piles of personal stuff, piles of anything, um, walk in and just walk right back out. Be like, no, 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 no. You, you got to clean this boat up before I take a look at it because I, I can't see everything in this boat if there's piles of wood and materials all over the place. And I, I, you know, I don't have time to shift all this stuff so I can open that one hatch and then shift it all back so I can open that hatch over there. See what I mean? It's that sort of thing. So that, that sort of mentality. And again, red flags. That's all these are. Red flags telling you, hey, don't buy this boat. Do not buy this boat. It's, it's a hunk. Again, not disparaging the Tiana I was on because I do not think it is a hunk. I think it is a potentially very very beautiful classic classic double ender that just you know unfortunately needs some serious work to get it to a point where it is plying the ocean with a big fat smile on the captain's face now last thing i want to say uh after this big ranting ranting podcast is that uh yeah we're we're pretty much uh, switched over to once a week. So I'm going to try desperately to get one of these podcasts out once a week. Usually going to try and upload it on a Tuesday. That's just my day, my Tuesday day. And uh, that's how we're going forward in 2024. It's not that I am losing my zest for doing these podcasts or anything like that. It's just that uh, I want to make sure the quality is there. I want to make sure the guests are there. And, um, you know, once we got past 200, I feel like there's a catalog. So I was kind of really trying to get to that point and then be able to slow it back. Because two shows every single week is a grind. And I could feel that the quality of the things that I was talking about was uh, a bit forced. And I don't want that for my listeners. I want to be able to enjoy this show, doing this show as much as people enjoy listening to it. And um, I have a small, small, wonderful uh, family of an audience, and I appreciate you all so much, and it really is uh, great. And I hope to hear from a lot of people, and I hope to, uh, you know, who knows, maybe someday meet you and have you on the show as well. 
That being said, the final thing I want to say is that uh, I look back on this week and I see it as a very, very big success, not only for myself as far as learning a lot and experiencing things, but mostly, you know, meeting two fellow sailors. Uh, I know, Rory, you didn't get a chance to actually sail, but I consider you a crew member no matter what. And, um, you know, it's that's cool. I got to meet two Two very, very cool people, and uh, I'm probably going to be able to stay in touch with them for a very long time, and I don't know. I, that's, <laughs> that's what it's all about, right? Meeting people, having experiences, all that sort of stuff. So I look at it as a win, and I definitely look at it as uh, a win for Ryan because, um, like we said many times, at least we didn't find this out 500 miles from shore with an approaching gale. That could have been pretty, pretty darn bad. And I know it's a lot of work that you got to do at this point going forward, but that's the thing. The minute you start and the minute you jump into that project, the sooner you're going to have that thing completed and have the boat and the confidence back in the boat to the point where you can do exactly what you want. Sail over that horizon. Thanks for listening and until next time.